and welcome to the Horrible Things Podcast, guys. This is a true crime and comedy and disaster and I survived and a bunch of other cult stuff, you know, random things, stories that you can hear me tell and talk about with people who probably don't want to hear these things on their day to day. But you know what? They love me enough to come and hear these horrible things. So even if it's from the day before. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening for being here and today oh really quickly i'm your host emma sexton i almost forget that every single time because i'm like yeah they know by now it's episode 40 what episode 40 guys so i'm always like uh they probably know by now but then i remember like "Eh, it could be the one one new person who's like who is this girl who's like way too animated talking about murder uh that's me that's me i'm emma sexton and today i'm joined by my good friend from college uh i'm aj keenan and this is his first time on the show. He's such a good sport for being here because I know you um, don't really, you get scared easily, right? By like death stuff. <laughs> I am notorious for being the one person in my friend group who's like, yeah, don't bring me to a horror movie. Yeah, I'm the same way though. And here we are talking about murder. <laughs> it's totally different though. Horror movies are just a whole other level of terrifying. That is true. Yeah. So... I'm going to ask you the question that I ask all of the first-time guests on the show, which is, um, what's your level of knowledge of true crime? How much do you know about it? Are you interested in it? Like, what's where are you at with this whole genre? And that can include, um, like, man-made disasters and stuff like that. So uh, my experience with true crime is basically sitting in on a courtroom in second grade, which was well over 10 years ago. I don't remember anything about it except for sitting in there and this one guy just kept going up three times. Uh, Apparently there was a dog that went on the loose and started attacking people. (laughs) Uh, Fido. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what happened. Like the first time he went up, he's like, they talked and then the judge sends him off and says, get the animal control. Next time the animal control shows up, then the next time someone else shows up. Like the guy was up there three times and I'm pretty sure he wasn't done by the time we left. Wait, why were you sitting in on a court case in second grade? Field trip. That's your school had so much cooler field trips than my school had. What the heck? We walked through a <laughs> when I was in second grade, we walked through a nature preserve where they told us about how to avoid being attacked by mountain lions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did not we did not do anything like that. I don't think I I think I stepped foot in a zoo in Pennsylvania once for a field trip, but otherwise I don't think I went to a zoo. I went to Yeah, I think I went to a Pennsylvania zoo with my grandfather and some students. Yeah, my grandfather joined us for a field trip. It was actually pretty cool. And then um that happened and then I know we went in four no, fifth grade. It's been a long time. Fifth grade we went to the Bueller Challenger Center in New Jersey. If you can't tell by now, I'm from New Jersey. as is the rest of my family so it feels totally the way honestly i don't even notice if you have an accent because like half of my family would be talking with the same accent and i'm just kind of used to it by now (laughs) makes sense but the second i say water everyone's like up your jersey my parents both say water so i'm like it's normal ah yeah (laughs) but in new jersey they just have they have this thing called the Bueller challenger center where basically you get to replicate the mission that they were supposed to go on in the Challenger mission, um, which was an unfortunate tragedy back in the, I'm going to say 1990s. I don't know. It was late 18, late 1980s, early 1990s, somewhere in that range. Um, there were seven people aboard the space shuttle Challenger. 
um, including the first teacher set to go to space. The rocket launched, and 80-something seconds in the launch, the rocket blew up, killing all seven people on board. Eventually, the fault was traced back to a component on the rocket ship that was completely uh, like destroyed. That would count as a man-made disaster. That is so horrifying. Ugh. Yep, and... Um, I was a, I'm a huge supporter of FIRST Robotics, so I've been working with that organization for six years. I was involved in a team. And, Super cool. Um, recently, the organization, like my last year going to a world championship, which was my junior year, uh, Dean Kamen is his name. He's the guy who runs FIRST. He said, I want to honor Christina McAulfey, who was, if I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name, who was the teacher that was on board. So he was trying to put together a bill where the congressman would mint a special coin in her honor with oh, all the proceeds so, going to first. That sounds great. The bill passed. It, it will be in effect either this year or next year, and you'll oh be able to gosh. get your own commemorative coin uh, to remember the Challenger disaster. That's amazing. That's such a smart idea. That's like... um. That's just great because it's a win-win for everyone, you know? Like, you get a cool commemorative coin that will probably not be in print forever, so it's, like, super rare and cool. And the proceeds go to a good cause. Like, what can go wrong? Exactly. Like, I, if I, when I finally hear about the coin going out, I'm definitely going to try and get my hands on one of them because um, it's just cheap. I'm a huge uh, supporter of education in general. Like, my parents, both my parents are educators. Um, and I'm also a huge supporter of first, so any way of supporting STEM education, I will gladly support. You know, one of the coolest experiences of my life was, so my mom is an engineer, and she's a very successful engineer. She's literally one of the smartest people I know. And like when I walk into her office, people treat me so well because she's the lady in charge. Like everyone knows my mom is the lady in charge because she just is like she's so good at managing and like making things happen. Literally, like every job they go for, she's the one they put as the lead like person because she's just so good at pitching and like getting jobs for her company. She's she's amazing. And so she is like she goes to a lot of women in STEM events because obviously she is a woman in engineering and she's a very successful one. So she like she'll do all these events and things. So one time um, she got invited to go speak at a women in STEM panel at uh, Mayor Garcetti's house, like the L.A. mayor's um, mansion. And she was like, girls, you want to go? And my sister and I were like, yes. And so we drove up to L.A. and we went to this mansion and it was amazing. Oh, my gosh. The house is in this cutest little neighborhood. It's gigantic. And then you walk like not Beverly Hills gigantic, but like L.A. gigantic, like no suburban house is that large. And it's it's gorgeous from the outside. And then you walk outside. There's literally a fountain with like a separate little house in the backyard. This giant like courtyard area where they had the panel set up was in front of it. And we got to sit and like watch my mom answer questions from kids who wanted to be in STEM. And it was it was amazing. And like after that, I was just like, you know, it is really cool to be like supporting STEM fields. And it's cool that kids know what they want to be involved in, like so young in life, because I guess it's you never think about that the same way. Whereas like I knew I wanted to be in the arts when I was in seventh grade. But you never think about, like, the people who know they want to be, like, a computer scientist in seventh grade. But it's just so, it's amazing. And, like, my I know my brother wants to work in STEM, and he's only 12, so. Yeah. I, I mean, I was going into STEM until 11th grade, and I'm like, eh, I actually like TV better. And I'm still technically working in STEM. Like, technically, I'm still programming. And you're an engineer. Yeah. Studio I'm, engineer. Yep. 
Right, so. Pretty much. So <laughs> that STEM background ain't leaving me. And I've been doing STEM since, oh boy, it's been a long time. I'm going to say probably second grade. I've been somehow involved in STEM since then. So I've been involved for a long time. That's amazing. Yeah, I didn't even, I knew right away that I did not want to be in STEM. Like I had one um, science class I really loved in middle school, but the only reason I loved it was because my teacher was my performing arts teacher and I loved her. Well, that makes so, sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I knew I didn't want to be in STEM. I'm terrible at math. I'm terrible at science. I, well, not terrible at, I just despise it. Like I don't like doing it. And this is not a, uh, like a, a hate on anyone who does like to do it because honestly like hats off to you i don't know how you do that well <laughs> yeah i i i got out after cal- calculus too i'm like yeah. goodbye math i do not want to see your face ever again yeah people who go and do like these insane calculus and, or insane math and like physics courses i'm like honestly like godspeed i don't even know how you do that how you manage that lifestyle but like good for you yeah don't let don't make me involved in it but uh i gladly tip my hat off to you literally because i never don't wear a hat <laughs> never don't that's he's wearing a, a hat right now with headphones yep that sounds about right <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you get to know me there are it is literally a celebration when i don't wear a hat yeah this is true the one day he didn't wear a hat when he came to my church and i was like aj is that you <laughs> for a second i almost didn't recognize you without the hat yeah, but it's called you don't wear the hat to church. So very true, very true. Um, what was I going to bring up? Something about education. Oh yes, okay. So you know how um, in the SAT you have to take a math portion. Yep. I legit did so not good on my like it wasn't bad. It was just not good on my and like it makes sense because like obviously I scored pretty well on my English. Um, section. I'm an English minor, so like obviously I'm gonna. I better hope be an better English minor <laughs> gets a good SAT score in the English section. But math, oh my gosh, it was so bad. I had to go to like do all these books and stuff because I literally just could not grasp the math section. And then I was reading this study the other day. I feel like where, uh, or no, this there was this like question in education i don't know like an essay or paper i heard it from malcolm gladwell if you know who that is nope he talks about like philosophy and sociology and stuff he's great super smart great books but um he had this whole talk where he was he was talking about the fact that like when you take standardized tests it's just ridiculous because his example was like look at the lsat right yeah so much of it it's it's this test to be a lawyer like someone we so respect in society and Obviously, there's a component of knowing ma- ma- the material, but another huge component of it is you have to test well under a time limit. But then he was like, but is a time limit really something that we require and expect of in a lawyer? Like, is is it really necessary to be able to do something super quickly to be very good at it because like when you're a lawyer you have weeks months to prepare your case and you have a long time in court so like then why do we time the LSAT because maybe some people are just bad at doing things that are timed same with the SAT if you want to become an engineer is being super fast at doing like multiplication and graphing functions really what we value in that no it's efficiency every it's all about efficiency and trying to figure out okay what's the best way to do it like and the thing is, like, if you get the problem wrong, like, a lot of the stuff on the SAT is done by hand. Most of the times, 
there's a great thing called the computer that exists that does a lot of yeah. these calculations for you and can do it quite well. Yes, it's important to know the concepts, but like the idea should be to know the concepts. And that's why I applaud our university Chapman who just announced like at the time we're recording this just today that they are now going test optional. So like no more SAT scores, no more ACT scores. So for people who testing does not work for well for and will actually hurt them getting in, well, their chances of getting into Chapman or uh, have gotten easier. And this has actually been a growing trend. Many other schools have NYU. Been, yeah, NYU is one of them. Um, I actually remember one time I went to a um, college fair a couple years ago and one of the schools outright said, do not even think about setting us your test scores. They do not matter at us to, uh, to us at all. We will not read them. We don't care. Yeah, it's just so, it's ridiculous because standardized testing is just such a bad measure of somebody's intelligence like someone could be really smart and really good at figuring things out and just take a longer time like i know the smartest kid i probably not not necessarily the most intelligent kid by any means but just the hardest working like best most mature kid i ever knew he would take literally everyone else would be done with the test in like 25 minutes and he would take 50 and i but every single time he got his test back, he would have like high 90s or 100%. And I was like, how do you do that? And he's like, I read all the problems. Then I go one by one and do them. And then I go back and check all the problems to and like think them through individually. And so it takes me a really long time. But like I always get good scores. And I was like. See, he knows the knowledge like he he knows the material and he's figuring the problems out which is better than what the people do who finish it really quick which is just memorize the format of a problem and then like go 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 i remember how this goes from the textbook let me just copy the steps as opposed to actually being like ah here's the concept and like here's how we learn it and do it yep. which can take more time and like that's okay you shouldn't honestly sat act it is a bs test of most standardized testing is bsing if you want to talk to anyone my father is actually a expert on this he wrote his doctoral thesis on uh something similar to standardized testing and it's how like there's alternate alternate alternative methods to testing that are far more accurate far more um What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, all-encompassing. Yeah, all-encompassing. There's a different word I'm looking for, but whatever. They're, basically, there's alternative modes of testing that are more predictive, that's the word I'm looking for, of a student's success in higher education than just, okay, here's a bunch of problems, solve them in 50 minutes. Yeah, I just feel bad for everyone, all you guys out there listening. It's like, I feel bad for anyone who is trying to get into college today myself included because like the other day my mom was asking me she's like so what does your sister need to do to get into uc santa barbara like just asking for my experience and i was like um well she either needs to be a genius or start some sort of social movement that changes the world pretty much that's pretty <laughs> like, much what you need these you, days yeah you basically need to like start an organization that becomes very successful invent an app or like basically to get into college now, you pretty much already have to be doing something that make that you would be doing even if you didn't go to college, like that you would do after graduating college. So basically colleges are trying to make themselves irrelevant. Great. Yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous. But then I look at like so many people that are in even like our film school, Dodge, and it's like kids that get like millions of views on YouTube or kids that like already work doing like theater, technical theater or like 
kids that basically already like are successful in what they're doing that get into the program and then it's like well isn't the whole point that we're supposed to be like learning how to do it better like of course you need to show that you're passionate but it's just kind of sucks because some kids are going to grow up luckier than others i was very fortunate to have a great media program and great church with a live production program like in my city but not everyone has that yeah i'm on the same boat i was very lucky my high school production facilities are awesome shout out to mr Mono, mr daly um like they like it was awesome what we did there and at, that's the the skills that i learned there are what have made it that way i do what i do here at the university and have been able to do it um at the level that i do it at yeah yeah. it's just ridiculous because now it's like if you come in not knowing barely anything which is what i feel like you know 20 30 years ago people did come in not knowing a lot of the skills for what they wanted to major in like if you don't know as much or a lot even you're already behind when you come in exactly that's how i feel it with news writing like, I'm with kids who, I'm not really interested in news writing, but I'm with so many kids who've done it all high school, like, being reporters on camera and stuff. And then I go in, and I feel like I'm already behind because I didn't do that. Yeah. And I, I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> I made, in all my, in my entire high school term, I made one news package. So, um, like, when it came to the writing stuff, I'm like, I'm not that good at that. When it comes <laughs> to too. the, ed- when it comes to editing, when it comes to shooting, like, when it comes to editing, I can manage pretty well. When it comes to shooting, I can also manage pretty well. When it comes to live live events, that's where I believe I personally thrive. Me too. When it comes to writing, oh, uh, every, don't even ask, please. <laughs> please, just don't even ask. Uh, just find the next best person. Jackie, Brad, someone. Yeah, exactly. That's how I feel too. I'm like, please, as long as I don't have to be on camera, there's a reason I have a podcast and not a YouTube channel. Although I am starting a YouTube channel. Shout out and promo my own YouTube channel, which is going to be about books. So if you're interested in literature, check it out. So you said you're, so you say that, oh, I'm doing a podcast because I don't like being on camera. Well, now you're going to be on camera. (laughs) Sadly, but I feel like it's worth it because I just have so many book reviews and like things I've read and things I want to read and book discussions I want to have that I don't have with anyone else because I'm, I'm not friends with a lot of people who read a ton. I haven't read a book in... Let's see here. What was the last book I actually read? Probably something for school, huh? Yep. That's a lot of people's. Yeah, I don't like... Yeah, I haven't read any actual book. Like, Yeah, textbooks I have, but like, I haven't read actual any actual book since my senior year of high school, and I haven't read anything for fun since around the same time. Yeah, I just feel like peop- if you don't read for pleasure, like you're just... Uh, of course, you're going to hate reading because yeah. it's just a chore. I used to be an avid reader, and then I just... Like, I just stopped reading books. I don't know why. That yeah, that's that's sad to me. But again, there's still time to get back into it. One of these days. It's more relaxing than watching a video. In my opinion. I agree to disagree. I don't know, cause like with a video, you I guess I'm thinking YouTube video. You always want to click the next one and click the next one and click the next one, and then before you know it, it's one a.m. Whereas with a book, you're like, I'm gonna read thirty pages and then I'm gonna go to sleep, and you are tired by the end of reading the thirty pages because your brain has to like work, you know, to like process it, and your imagination is going, and then you're actually tired by the end of reading thirty pages, and you're like, okay, I'll go to bed. Plus, it's better for your eyes. 
that is true, but I'm not going to listen to that very sound <laughs> advice, and I'm going to continue watching YouTube videos until 1 a.m. and then not being able to fall asleep. All right, fair. You know, teach their own. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I've been obsessed with this YouTube channel called Jolly recently, which is like a combination British and South Korean channel, and it's just amazing. Like, I've learned so much about South Korea, and it's brilliant. Like, I just love it. Nice. So. I've been... I've been watching this, like, I've been watching a lot of different things, but the one that re lately I've been watching a little more of is, uh, it's the Scott H. Kilmer channel, which is basically a car mechanic channel, where they basically are like, okay, these are how you fix common problems with your car. And cool. actually, finally, I've been waiting for this for, like, the past six months, they finally brought up my my, my Chevy Aveo that, what I, that I drive, and he's like, yeah, that's a piece of junk, get rid of it. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> come on, <laughs> you're not going to give me any advice on taking care of her? <laughs> well, clearly, as we've already seen, you don't take sound advice. Whatever, it's fine. Oh, that is true. I, <laughs> I think so many people have given me sound advice, and I'm just like, yeah, I'll take that into consideration. And the next day, I go back to doing my old habits. Although sometimes I actually do take advice. And then someone you've never listened to before gives you advice, and you're like, ah, yes, I will listen to you, person I've never trusted before in my life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I there that, are certain that, people that pause, <laughs> that horrible pause. I had no idea if you were going to agree with it or be like, "Uh, no, you're crazy. I've never done that." Yeah, uh, there are certain people I will never agree with and other people that I will always agree with and then there are people in the middle. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I just realized we've been talking How long have we been talking for? Let me check this out. So, it's I'm basically been... a repeat of Reese. Great. <laughs> It's been 22 minutes. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Okay. We need to get onto the case. That's what happens when you have me on the show. We start <laughs> rambling. It was a good conversation, though. I'm okay with it. I'm going to leave it in. Skippers who are just skipping to the case, you can uh, you can play right here. It's right here. I'm starting. I'm starting the case, guys. <laughs> People who didn't skip, um, I hope you learned something about standardized testing. <laughs> okay. So today I wanted to start you off pretty easy because I know you don't do true crime really and um, hopefully you don't commit any crimes. So I figured better to start you with something that's less gruesome. And um, sadly yes, for Caitlin, I've saved the other gruesome case that I researched for her. <laughs> so that's something for you guys to look forward to. But um, now for a less gruesome but just as interesting case, this one blew my mind literally like... Not to be punny, but it was really, like, shocking to me. So I'm excited for you to hear it and to hear your opinions on it. I'm excited to hear it because I keep hearing shock, blue, fun. Like, so I'm, I just, I'm just trying to figure out, okay, what type of case can involve all three of those? Okay, so um, we're talking about a case that happened relatively not long ago. I mean, it happened in 2001, so that's within my lifetime. <laughs> so I'm going to count it as being... Like, not that long ago. But it happened in October of 2001 in Portland, Oregon. And we're basically going to be following the I Survive story of this woman named Lonnie Feather, which is the best name I've ever Lonnie heard. Lonnie Oh, my God. Okay, so <laughs> Lonnie Feather. So, they're, so back home. They're How could you possibly have a connection with the name Lonnie Feather? I've just, never even met a Lonnie in my entire life. If your so, name is Lonnie, <laughs> comment down below. All right, so back in New Jersey, my father and I had... Is very close friend of ours, uh, Jimmy Petty. Uh, may he rest in peace. Um, so one of the things we let, we did with him one time is we went to go we went to do a laser tag, and for the laser tag they gave us a bunch of different 
names. Like they just gave us random names. Like uh, one of us was Firefly, and then um, I yeah I think it was someone just like uh, I think either my father or Jimmy said Firefly in like a certain tone, and it reminded them of another were uh, another name that was either on there or they knew from something else. Lonnie Bird. So like Lonnie Bird, Lonnie Feathers, that's what it reminded me of that little story I had with at the laser tag. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say, like, do you know Lonnie Feather? That's incredible. If I knew a lot of Lonnie Feather, that would be really cool. It would. It would be shocking because I would say it's probably the same person because I guarantee there's no more than like five Lonnie Feathers in the world. Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay. So Lonnie Feather lived in Portland, Oregon, and she met this man named Michael Hunter um, 20 years prior to the year 2001. So they had known each other for like a long, long time. Both were in the stained glass business because she would do like stained glass art. And I've seen her art online. It's amazing. And he sold glass to her. So he sold the glass that she would use to, well, make her art. Basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they knew each other for 20 years. Okay. I'm surprised the Michael Hunter, keyword Hunter name, didn't scare her off. Yeah, it's a little spooky how that just is a thing, but you know. I'm sorry you know. to my friend Hunter, you are awesome. <laughs> but um, he basically, after 20 years of like a w- pretty much working relationship, they were friends, but they kind of had dropped off communicating. They weren't really talking to each other anymore. Um, she... He like she didn't have a husband or anything, so he called her up in 2001 and basically started flirting with her. And they start like transition from being friends to dating. So they go um, from oh we haven't spoken in I'm gonna say too many years to hey let's go on a date. Yeah, pretty much exactly that. That does and not sound creepy at all. He was like, but but keep in mind they'd known each other for 20 years and she'd been friends with them. So to her it was like very comforting. He was very comforting to her. And he was wooing her like over the phone and basically uh, after talking for a while they they decided that it would be a good idea for him to come to Portland and he lived in a motorhome so she was like you can just park your motorhome in my driveway. And okay, this so, just gets, I, I know they knew each other for 20 years, but I'm just like, red flag, red flag, red flag. And maybe it's just because I'm on a true crime podcast right now, so I'm like expecting the worst. <laughs> but like, all these things are just like, red flag, red flag, red flag. That's very fair. But, so she actually said that one of the reasons she trusted him so much was just because he had such confidence. Like, the way that he walked and talked was just with so much, like, sh- he was sure of himself. And that made her feel very comfortable. So he comes to Portland, Oregon. He parks in her motorhome and they basically start living together. In the motorhome? No, in her house. Okay, I was like, if they were living together in a motorhome while there's a house next door, something's not right. No, they're living together in her house. And um, he had come all the way from Texas. And what he didn't know is that the reason he'd come from Texas is because he would he was wanted for fraud in Texas. Of course. <laughs> and so she obviously doesn't know this, but they're living together for about eight months before one day uh, she goes to her loan officer to talk about how to get some, uh, she wanted to take out a loan for something, I guess. she. I think it was something to do with her business. Oh, I read this, but I can't exactly remember what the reason was. But anyway, she um, he pulls up like her credit statements so that they can see like, oh, how difficult would it be for you to get a loan? And so the loan officer, he like looks at the credit report and he sees that there's 14 credit cards opened under her name. Or- with $30,000 of debt on them, all under her name. Oh, 
Okay. So I'm going to take a leap of faith and assume that he opened all those cards, not the officer Michael Hunter. I want to assume <laughs> that he's just going to continue the fraud crime that he was doing down in Texas and ran away from. You know what? I think your intuition is very correct. But Lonnie actually was very confused at first what happened. But she said that pretty much immediately she thought of Michael, which I think is a bad idea because like I think of if I like opened my <laughs> bills and saw that um, Harley, my boyfriend, I w- was living with me at the time, whatever. I opened my credit card statement. I see there's 14 cards open in my name. I wouldn't be like, ah, it must have been Harley. But granted, like, we've been together a lot longer than Lonnie and Michael had. But still, like, I feel like if your mind immediately jumps to your significant other in that in that situation, red flag. you may have another problem going on there. That's so, just another red flag. Yeah, this is the case of red flags, just in my opinion. Maybe just, again, true crime top podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't blame Lonnie for it at all because I could totally see how you'd be like, well... This is like kind of strange, well, but also, okay. Also, she she knew the guy for twenty years, so like yeah, exactly. It, You're like, not gonna really. Suspect. It's not gonna. Yeah, he she's not gonna suspect anything. We're looking from the outside in, so like yeah, it's easier for us to say in hindsight than yeah. in the actual scenario. But she remembers Michael, and then she like goes back to her house to confront him, and the first thing he tries to do is he tries to gaslight her into believing that she'd open the cards. He's like, no, remember, we talked about this. Like, you opened all those cards. You wanted to open those. And obviously she hadn't. But literally, there is nothing in this world that annoys me more than gaslighting. Like, it is, to me, the most frustrating thing when someone makes you feel like an idiot for something they did wrong. Nothing else compares in terms of annoyance for me. That is, yeah, that's just... I, yeah, that's just not right in so many ways. And like, you don't put words in people's mouths. You don't try to, if you, if you did something stupid, fess up to it. Don't try to blame someone else for it, please. Yeah, exactly. And even just, I can't even talk about it because for me, that is my number one pet peeve. Like a hundred percent. It is, uh, number one, people that gaslight other people or are patronizing to other people. Two is uh, people who are unreliable. <laughs> the, those are the top two for me. And this man checks off both those boxes. So I just already dislike him yeah, so much. Yeah, that doesn't... So, yeah, I, I guess, like, I'm trying to think, what are my pet peeves? I'm trying to think now. Just because, like, you're on the pet peeve, I'm like, okay. Let me and th- also when people say library instead of library. That's, like, a Library, line. library, library. Okay, I can say library. Good. <laughs> there you go. Um, that's the one thing I apparently can say in my New Jersey accent. Um, so... Can you imagine you say library, I kick you off the podcast? <laughs> I'm like, not today. Not today, Satan. Yep, I'm not gonna... I'm gonna do my best to say library. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> um, okay, so pet peeves for me. I'm gonna go ahead and just say pet peeves, pet peeves, pet peeves. Number one, not being considerate of others, mostly. That's fair. I feel like, like that kind of goes along with gaslighting. Yeah, like, treat people the way you expect to be treated. Don't play the TV at 3 o'clock in the morning expecting your roommates to True. be able to sleep. Treat people with kindness. I uh, feel like that was very directed at somebody in your own life. And it yep. made me no, it's not you, my current roommates. You're all good. <laughs> it's a past roommate? Yes. <laughs> Just got put on blast on the pod. I'm not going to say his name or her name or their name. It's obviously him because you just said his first and then you covered it. Well, shoot. Say his name. No. 
<laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm not trying to expose you on the podcast. I'm not going to expose the guy. But like literally like But yeah. he is inconsiderate and screw you. <laughs> no, he's actually a nice guy outside of that. He's like a really nice guy. It's just don't live with him. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Like, you I feel can, like I could say that like, about a lot of people. Good, good guy to be friends with. Don't be his roommate. Like I'm talking to his roommates right now and he's like like there so basically like my the, when I was dealing with this, we were in a tiny ass bedroom. Now they're in an apartment, and the apartment people still have issues with it. Like, the TV's Crazy. in the middle, and then the two apartments on the side of them, like, one of my friends lives on that apartment in one of those bedrooms, and he's like, dude, we can hear the TV. So, like... That's annoying. Yeah, it's annoying, but, like, again, nice guy, good guy. Just don't live with him. Or if you do, get that TV out of there. <laughs> Just break the TV. Just break his TV. <laughs> He'll get another one, maybe. <laughs> and then you break that one and call it an accident. Yep. Yes. But anyway, back yeah. to pet peeves. Back to Michael, Michael Hunter, the one of my nightmare human. Yes. Um. So he basically, she's like, she's such a nice human. She's like not even that mad. She just figures that he's gonna sell his motor home in order to pay her back for all the money he'd spent. She just figured he was desperate, and so she's like, ah, he could just sell his motor home and we'll pay it off. It'll be fine. So basically she gets home, she confronts him about it. She's like, you open these credit cards. He, he starts gaslighting her. Then basically she's like, I know you open these cards. So just go and get the credit card statements from your motorhome. So he goes into the motorhome and he's there for like 10-ish minutes before he comes back to the door and he pauses for a second. Oh, and then no. he comes into the front door and he walks over to her and instead of showing her the credit card statements, he begins to choke her and... Then instead oh of sitting down, he puts his hand on her neck and does like a pressure point. He basically blocks off the blood flow to one of her major arteries and she begins to pass out. And she oh said God. that the guy she had known who would give her gifts and like surprise her and woo her and be kind was gone. That he was very cold and calculated in that moment. And she said that she realized that this was like an evil person. And so she passes out and then she wakes up on the floor and he hits her in the skull, like literally on the top of her oh head God. with the butt of his gun. That, with, with the which, butt of a gun? Yeah. Which if you guys have never like seen or held a gun before, um, <laughs> sounds so American just to be like, everyone's held a gun. But um, if you've never seen or held a gun before, which is probably good for the majority of my young viewers, um, it is like the end of a gun is like a gigantic thing of metal. It is so heavy and it is so like my boyfriend got hit. His brother hit him in the head with a gun when he was a kid. Um, <laughs> what? Like because they were fighting whatever. They have a very interesting relationship. But he hit him in the head with a gun on accident. And Harley said he has never experienced pain like that in his entire life since that point. I would expect that for getting hit by a giant block of metal because that's basically the butt of a gun. Yeah, so craziness. She gets hit in the head with the gun. And then he told her, he told her, he told her, he, um, I keep making the microphone peak because I'm talking too loud. But he tells her like, oh, you must be sick or like not feeling too well because you passed out. Gaslighting her yet again. Horrible. Saying, and then she's like, um, I remember you put your hands on my neck and then I, I started to pass out. So then she gets up and she like steadies herself. She starts trying to move away. She's moving toward the couch. And then he raises his gun to her head and she hears an incredibly loud shot. Right. But that's all she hears. 
She can't feel anything. And then she hears another loud shot and she collapses onto the couch. And at this point, she can't feel any pain, any sensations except the loudness of the shots. And that is because she has been shot twice in the head at this point. She falls back onto the couch. No feeling, no sensation. She wasn't even sure if she was alive because she's just thinking like, I know I'm injured. But you also just think when someone gets shot in the head, they die. How I'm just like, I'm in shock that she's alive. I'm, that like that she's still alive at that point, and like that that th- you don't survive a shot to the head unless someone's unless a higher power like God is like this is not your time. You're gonna make make it through this. Yeah. And so I'm, so she gets shot twice in the head, and she said that she um. She was on an episode of I Survived, and she, like, described her experience in great detail. She was like, I wasn't sure if I was alive or dead. I, all I could feel was, like, a loud, it felt like sound was just ringing around in my head. I didn't feel any pain. She said she was looking for the white light while she was lying there, just looking for the white light to go into because she thought she was dying. And she was looking for her father had actually died the previous year. So she was looking for her dad because she believed that, like, she would go into the white light and find her her dad. And basically, at at that moment, when she realized there's no white light and I'm alive, she made a split. She made the decision, like, I'm going to stay alive. And so she decided to play dead and she sat on the couch and she believed, like, at that point he was walking around. She believed that she would have the chance to survive this, but she didn't know how injured she was. She knew she couldn't fight. So she's lying sideways on the couch, and then he picks a pillow off of the couch, puts it over her head, and fires two more times into her head. And all she could understand, once again, was that there's noise ringing in her ears. It's like surrounding her head. That's how she said it felt. So she's now survived four shots to the head. Yes. And he would come over to the couch occasionally after he had shot her the four times in the head, and he would look at the pillow and like look under the pillow and check on her, and, like, see, okay, is she, like, just making sure she was dead? And she's still playing dead. She's holding her breath. She's, like, uh, keeping her eyes slightly opened. Like, she's she's 100% playing just full possum right now. She's playing dead. And she knew that the front door, to get to the front door, she would have to go through um, a living room and a hallway to even get to the front door and she knew that he always had a pocket knife on him at all times so she was worried if she tried to get up and go to the front door that he would stab her to death which is horrifying considering she'd already been shot in the head four times is this not enough trauma to put someone through no no yeah th- yeah like there i don't i don't know like i'm st- i'm still trying to figure out like how do you survive all this like this is four not- shots to the head four shots to the head a guy who's not going to let her go. Like, he wants her dead. Like. All of her money. I just. That's the most disappointing part of this. It's just like, really? And then again, this is a 20-year th- friendship down the drain because, well, he lost who he was. Yeah. And she didn't. So after she was just sitting there playing dead, uh, he started playing a computer game at her computer and watching TV in her living room. And she didn't speak or move after getting shot in the head four times for four hours. But she knew she couldn't let it get dark. So she's just thinking of escape, thinking of her friends and family. 
And she said that while she was lying there, she had visions of her friends and family that she could talk to them. Like she was having conversations with them. And she said that she felt that her father was there, even though she couldn't see him. Like she knew he was there, even though she she couldn't see him at all. And she basically, when she was having a conversation with a vision of her mom, she told her mom that she wouldn't have to go to another funeral, which I think is just really like. Yeah, that's someone who has the will to get through this. She's like, I'm not, I'm not letting this guy end my life. I have much more to live for. I'm going to fight as hard as I can to get out of this. Yeah. So uh, around four hours after the initial attacks, she notices him get up from the desk and she had a cordless phone. So he gets up from the desk and goes to the front door because a neighbor had knocked on the door. Right. So when he gets up and answers the door, she reaches over and grabs a cordless phone, which just happened to be right there. She calls 911 really quickly. She says, I've been shot. Please hurry. This is my address. She gives them her address. She hangs up the phone, puts it back on the desk. Right. And he's still talking to the neighbor. He didn't notice this had happened. But this is me shaking my head so much. It is 911 policy that if someone calls and reports an accident like that or an incident um, and then hangs up, they have to call back. They have to call you back. To make sure that it wasn't a prank call. So that's a new one. I thought it, I thought they'd just go no matter what. No, they have to call you back. So the phone starts ringing again from nine one one as Michael Hunter is walking back into the room. Oh no! And so oh, no. keep in mind, Michael thinks she's dead. He really does. And so he picks up the phone and starts talking to the dispatch operator. And she didn't know what they were saying. She's trying to stay alive at this point. She's been bleeding out for four hours. And he passes in front of her with the gun in his hand. And all she can think about is like, where are the police? What's going on? I called. Shouldn't they be there by now? She really didn't think that she could hold on. And so Michael starts to convince the operator that all they'd had was a minor argument. And he's holding out the phone occasionally being like, Lonnie, they want to talk to you. Trying to like get her to move or grab for the phone so he could see if she was really dead. And she ignores him. She ignores all of it. She's playing dead, trying just trying to hold on. Um, but eventually the police operators get a little bit suspicious of what's going on, of the call, of the fact that he can't get the woman who'd called them on the phone. And so then eventually police negotiators go on to the call because they declare it a hostage situation. They doubt his story about the minor argument. They declare it a hostage situation, which is good 911 operator. Yeah, um, good job on that good, operator. Yeah, that, that's a great job. Um, even though it is kind of a bummer, they had to call back and didn't just go there, first of all. Um, they, they did manage to save it and kind of make it a better situation by being like, eh, but maybe we shouldn't believe this guy who can't get his girlfriend on the phone. Yeah. And so um, they are talking to him like he is basically a kidnapper. And Lonnie at this point is still just talking to herself in order to to like kind of pep talk herself into staying alive. And seven hours after the initial shots, the police arrive on the scene. And uh, Michael is like very calm. He's been on the phone with them for three hours. That's a long time to be on the phone with the police. Yeah. So he's on the phone with them. Like, he's trying to charm them. He's a con man. So he's trying to charm them. Well, that's why he has the fraud charges then. (laughs) Yeah. He's trying to make them think that everything is okay. And Lonnie's just getting frustrated because 
the police are just she can see the lights and she knows that they're just sitting outside the house waiting because they think it's a hostage situation and that she's in better shape than she actually is yeah so she's just getting frustrated and then all of a sudden it's been seven and a half hours and she just decides like it's time and so she sits up and she just goes and i quote i'm not going to make it you need to let them come in and get me she says this to michael just sits up looks him straight in the eyes and says that and then he pauses and then continues the conversation like he, she didn't say anything but s- slowly and surely he starts to agree to give himself up so he's saying like i'll take off my shirt and i will walk outside i'll drop the gun i will walk outside because i think at that point he realized it's better to go for they know they're going to come inside sooner or later it's better to go to jail for an attempted murder charge than a murder charge yeah so he and it was premeditated so he would have gone to jail for life yeah so he walks outside and he's taken into custody by SWAT immediately like they are right outside he's taken into custody by the SWAT team and then they come inside the house they find Lonnie in terrible shape lying on the couch and she said that she locked eyes with the SWAT man and she said and I quote I'm saved he was my angel in black about wow. this guy that had come in she said she never felt such relief because she knew i'm gonna survive and in the video where she's talking about this she's like tearing up almost crying because she's like that moment was like the moment of relief yeah and she talked about the fact that she believed all these little miracles had happened even through this experience like so three of the bullets um one had gone through uh her cheek like her jaw and her cheek one had gone through the back of her neck and it had missed the brainstem which would have instantly killed her but it missed the brainstem and clipped one of her top vertebrae in her spine that's bad but it's not the brainstem so that's good that's, and then that's the good. other shot um grazed the top of her skull and actually fractured her skull in several places but had missed actually going through her brain and the fourth bullet that he fired missed her and went into the wall Literally on all sides, top of the head, back of the neck, side of the head. She, on every single shot, it barely missed her. So he's a terrible aim, thank God. And also every single place where it shot, like, missed her. Anywhere where it could kill her. And, like, yeah, yeah. she has now a broken vertebrae and a fractured skull. Like, she'll take that any day of the week over her death. Like, that's... Yeah. And she said she believes it's a miracle that she survived because she said there's no way that she survived being shot four times in the head without any sort of other help. Exactly. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. There is no two ways about that. That's a miracle. Yeah. So I'm I mean, I'm obviously religious. I believe it's like a miracle from God, honestly. But like if, if if you're not Christian, like he's a terrible shot (laughs) and like that's it's just like no two ways about it it's insane either way coming from the it's god or the he sucks at shooting yeah like Like, it's it's crazy i'm in the it was a it was from god camp like god saved her but like i know people in the back of my head that are like yeah that was a terrible shot like i know plenty of people who would disagree with us in saying that it was got a miracle of god either way it's a miracle absolutely insane it's even if you don't believe it's a miracle it's still some sort of like, it's unbelievable. It's, that it's unbelievable not, that she, this happened. She should be dead. You know, honestly, like just based on that scenario, she should be dead. And for her to 
have survived that encounter is... She is a very strong woman. Yes. Very strong woman. I don't, said, I'm going to survive. I don't know if I... I don't know if I could do what she did. I don't know if I could. I always think that about these scenarios where I'm like, I don't think I would have been as smart or had the wits about me to yeah, I do don't... what she did. To play, sit there for seven hours playing dead with the man who's still holding a gun. Would I be able to do it? No, probably not. I don't think I could sit still for five minutes, let yeah. alone seven hours. It's insane. Yeah. But basically then Michael Hunter goes to trial in Oregon and he has to serve a mandatory 15 years in the Oregon penitentiary, which seems low. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, uh, um, can you double that and then maybe add some more years to that? Thank you. Yeah, it just seems it seems a little ridiculous to me. Yeah, and then a little low. as a part of his plea, um, after he serves in Oregon, he'll go to Texas and serve 20 years for crime and uh, like all the you know all so, the stuff he did in texas so but, he'll be in um, jail for 35 years not necessarily because the serve uh the what is it called the sentences served sentence the the sentences uh in texas aren't mandatory service time so he could get out early for good behavior which he probably would because he's a con man he's good at charming people yeah he could get out on probation you know, so it's not he won't actually serve thirty five years. He'll serve the fifteen in Oregon, and then he'll serve somewhere between ten, probably. Yeah, somewhere in that range. Ten. Probably. Uh, but after the actual attack, um, Lonnie Feather stayed in the hospital in Portland for only nine days. Nine days. I know. That's what a freaking trooper! Pretty good for nine days, and then she uh like. She went to her mom's house in Portland to, like, recuperate the rest of the way, like, to heal the rest. Okay, so while she was in the hospital, her family packs up her stuff because they're like, why would you want to live at the scene where you were shot four times? Then she goes, and I quote, he wasn't going to take anything else away from me, and that included my house. And I'm like, woohoo. Yeah. Yes. I think I have a, hold on, I have a clapping sound effect. Yes, we do. <laughs> I'm like, that's for you, Lonnie, you amazing woman. She, I, I just can't even like, she's crazy amazing. She still lives there to this day. Wow. And um, she has worked with other women who have suffered from domestic abuse and she works with gun awareness nonprofit Ceasefire um, to work to take the guns out of uh, abusers' hands. And she, this is like kind of an important case to talk about because it's not a clear case of domestic violence. Like he wasn't, um, like there was no escalating abuse, there were no control issues. Like he was a he was a great guy to her, and he said the right things. He brought her gifts, and like he seemed great. He would look normal, but this whole time he was just deceiving her. So it's just a different type of like. So many people are like, well, you should have seen it coming. Well, you should have this. Well, you should have that. How and it's like, like, how could you? We're again, we're looking at this from hindsight. Like from hindsight, like yeah, like I was saying at the beginning, red flag, red flag, red flag. But like if you're in the situation and like. Let's say me and a friend of mine who I've known for 20 years, uh, all of a sudden that friend's like, I have nowhere to go. Can I move in with you? I wouldn't hesitate. Like, it's been a friend of mine for 20 years. Exactly. And, like, if, like, I wouldn't expect that that person, like, most likely that person is not going to be a con man or a con woman or a con other. Yeah, but, like, yeah, like, they're not going to try to con me most of the time. This is, like, this doesn't happen. This is, it's not something what that you'd expect. expect. No, yeah. you never expect something like this ever. 
And I just want to say also that she um, she went on I Survived and I want to read you her quote of why she did. And she said that she wants to convey to people that, quote, life continues, that we can have a joyful, full, rich, happy life beyond something that you think is the most horrible thing that could ever happen, end quote. Yeah, you people are given challenges every day, whether it be. You get fired, you lose your house, you lose you lose a loved one. And these things all happen. But everything happens for a reason. And one of the things I've learned about life is you're not defined by your successes. You are defined by your successes to an extent. But the most fulfillment you get out of your life is not just the connections that you make and the easy wins that you get. It's the ones where you persevere through something that you never thought you'd survive. And honestly, this is slightly similar. Last week, I uh, suffered the loss of my of a very, very close friend of mine who basically was my grandmother. And this is basically a mantra she lived with. She was a three-time stroke survivor, a COPD survivor, um, and she thought, fought through it all with a smile on her face the entire time. And like... When I think of that quote, that's who I think of still. Yeah, they say, um, I know that in a lot of things that I've read and just things I've seen, they talk about the fact that a lot of times suffering is what brings renewal. Like it's almost like sometimes when you go through a really difficult period in your life and there are like everyone goes through horrible challenges, losing loved ones, or just, you know, like horrible seasons in your life, just times that are really tough and you just feel like it's hard to go on sometimes. But a lot of times in that period is when you learn so much about yourself and when you come out of that period or you get help, it's, there's almost the sense of like a, uh, it's like a change happening in you that no matter what, you know at the end of that period of time something will have changed. And I think a lot of the experiences, like the things I've learned from most of my life have come from a place of being hurt or going through something that's really tough. And then I come out stronger or I come out with a new perspective on something in my life. And it's just been a big agent in helping me like grow, I think. Yeah. Even though it's tough to say, I mean, a lot of, I know sometimes pastors will um i heard this joke that a pastor said once and he's like you want to see someone really experience change in their life pray for suffering (laughs) and he was joking obviously but like it is kind of the an interesting truth that like a lot of times we tend to make our most significant life uh changes in times that are really hard (laughs) yeah so yeah i think that's a good place to to end that story it's very i'm I think that the way you're dealing with the loss of your um, friend is really, really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I could go on and on about it, but, yeah. She's a strong woman. Extremely. There's a lot of strong people out there, and I'm fortunate to have known them. And then there are other stories out there, like that of Lonnie and how she was able to overcome Literally, she was seconds away from death or one, a couple millimeters away from death. And, like, 
she came through. Yeah. Like, you can make it through this. Yeah. Even in the extreme. Yeah. So, on that note, I think it's time to transition into my favorite segment on this show. Happy Things. Isn't it great that it's the pink button? I feel like that's just the best thing. So, this sound effect, guys, this little... It comes from the pink button on my board, and it's just so fitting because it reminds me of fairies. But yeah. <laughs> basically, in this part of the show, we're just going to say one good thing that has happened in your week or one good thing that's going to happen in your week, just something that makes you happy so we can end it with a kicker, you know? And it was something good, something something happy and joyful in your life or that you're looking forward to. Would you like me to go first or would you like to go first? Go first. Okay, so my happy thing is I'm going to say... You know, I have I have a lot of happy things going on, but I think the it's hard to remember that sometimes, but I do have a lot of great things going on. And I think um, I'm really excited to be um, on Thursday. I'm meeting with one of my professors and we're talking about like my four year plan and I'm hopefully going to be studying abroad next year. So that's just something like a general thing that I've been really excited about the past week because there's something so like. I don't know, exciting to me about like going somewhere and getting to not necessarily like start fresh, but experience like a new sense, a new life almost because it's just so different. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that and just, yeah, study abroad in general. Yeah. For me, this is studying abroad because I'm from the other side of the country. So (laughs) like this is more than enough studying abroad for me. So like. For me, it doesn't make sense, but I I recommend that if anyone wants to go, go. I've heard great things. Yeah, go to go to London, go to Italy, go to well, not right now. Go to don't go to Italy right now, but like go <laughs> go. Yeah, uh, hopefully we can figure out a way to get rid of this coronavirus sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, my poor cousin just went home today from Italy. Really, he was in a he was uh, studying abroad and uh, he got sent home thirty five days into his one hundred seventy day uh, trip. Wow. Yeah, so I feel so sorry, Keenan. You'll get back to Italy eventually. Wait, your cousin's name is Keenan? Funny story. So Keenan Keenan? No. So my cut so my grandparents on my father's side had five ki- children. The youngest is named Carol, so her original name was Carol Keenan. So she married this man named Kent Zambelli. So she took her obviously she took her name. His name, Zambelli. So she's now Carol Zambelli. So she's like, "Well, I have to give the Keenan name to someone." So she gave it to her son. Amazing. Yep. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. But um, yeah, that totally sucks. Yeah. So he'll get back there eventually, I hope. So what's your happy thing? Ooh, my happy thing. Um. Well, I might be directing Chapman News this week. <gasps> ooh, ooh. Watch might it be. live, 12 p.m. every Friday, East or not East Coast Pacific time. Yes, East Coast time, 3 p.m. But um, yeah, I might be directing. Still don't know for sure. Amazing. We'll see. Maybe. I don't Would know. Would I be TDing then? Would someone else be TDing? It'd still probably be you. Okay, things things we find out. Yes, we'll find out. <laughs> we, we find out new knowledge on this show. <laughs> we find out, but it'll, pr- well, if I'm not TDing, you're the only other person who knows how to TD right now, so it'll probably be you then. <laughs> All right, well, that's good to know. Yes, so I'm going to go with my happy thing is I'm going to direct this week. And, oh, also the actual thing that I know is happening, I do play by, as we mentioned earlier, I am heavily involved with First Robotics. 
this weekend is their state championship, and I'm doing play-by-play mm-hmm. announcing for one of their fields. So that'll oh, be that's fun. awesome. I've Where been, is it? Uh, it's in Monrovia. Where so even is that? That's for uh, 35 minutes up north. It's it's a nice school. It's a nice uh, it's a nice place. They do a nice job up there. Cool. Um, and actually, the MC of the event is actually the person who runs the Curiosity and Rover nar- uh, Twitter accounts. Oh, so, that's like, pretty cool. Yeah. So like, she's like. When I first meet her for the first time at one of these other competitions, it was the week that Curiosity had like a small failure, a uh, small glitch or something like that. And she's talking to the other game announcer about like, yeah, I shouldn't have posted this. And I'm like, wait, posted this. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I run all the, twi- the Twitter accounts. And I'm like, wait, what? That's so, <laughs> so cool. I like, literally like nerd out and like just start bowing. And I'm like, this is a great honor. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. amazing, though. Yeah. So. Uh, this this Saturday is gonna be my last time of the season, but it's a lot of fun to do it. And if you are if you like doing robotics and being around it, go volunteer. We always need volunteers. Awesome. Well, on that note, I think it's time to end to end this episode. Yeah, I I think we covered everything. Yeah. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Horrible Things, episode forty. We made it. Ten more Woo! till episode fifty, and I'll have to do something super special. But um. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to find Horrible Things on a day when it's not a Tuesday, you can go ahead and find us online at Horrible Things Podcast or on Patreon at patreon.com slash horrible things. If you want to support the podcast, you can go ahead and leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. But most importantly, guys, thank you so much just for listening to the show. You guys are the reason that this gets up every week and it's just like my motivation for continuing when people tell me they liked a specific episode. Like it just lifts my spirits. So if you... uh feel ever want to like reach out dm the instagram whatever like talk to me about a certain episode have questions whatever like i love to talk to you guys and you make it totally worth it to post episodes of this podcast every week and it's just yeah i just love you guys so thank you so much for listening and i just want to tell you guys that it's really important to never trust a man who sells you glass especially those who are driving motorhomes from texas and most importantly guys don't don't do horrible horrible things. things